previously on Solve the World. Once on the list, nine-year-old Miles Farr and his family became accustomed to visits by mysterious suitors. Most came representing certain industries. Big Pharma, Big Tobacco, private competitors to the CDC, heads of state. Miles could recall for you a memorable day in which a consulting firm tried to convince him to begin working towards a career in politics. If Miles' parents had agreed to give the youngling over to the firm's custody, they'd see to it that the family had access to an overseas account with a net worth of $100 million. This offer, the Faw family declined. They figured, rightly, that if Miles was worth $100 million in the political world, he'd be worth at least double that to the figureheads in more lucrative fields. Miles was 11 when the family finally sold him out payoff was supposed to be worth a billion dollars between annuities and certain IRAs and property values. Miles was transferred into the custody of an unnamed source. This anonymous bidder would see to Miles expert education in any field Miles so desired. Solve the world. A fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. I don't smell anything unique in you. Episode 78. Standing Defeated in Wonderland. As Miles waited, he was of two minds. The old ones had made the turn he anticipated. They were choosing not just a delay tactic, as he first offered. They wanted an endgame. They wanted to erase the mistake they made a millennium ago. They wanted through the door. What did that mean? Miles wasn't entirely sure. But his mind mused over a kaleidoscope of possibilities. At the end of the day, Miles was quite confident of this much. They didn't know where the door went either. That's why they didn't go a thousand years ago. The choice then was simple. Choose A, a life you understand, the life you've lived for innumerable generations, or choice B, the mystery box. Better to choose the known okay thing than the utterly unknown. Despite their scary and often grotesque facial features, the old ones were just like anyone else, making all their decisions out of fear. Miles had fears too. That's why he manipulated Marshall to get Scout out of this Eden. His fear, though, wasn't of the same ilk as the old ones. He didn't care what was beyond the door. The door meant one word to Miles. Escape. That's the goal. Escape. Get out of Dodge. Escape. Miles had spent enough of his life seeing beyond the veil that separates humanity from the dark spirits that run this place to know with confidence that when old Leviathan wakes from her bed, you don't want to be on Earth. If it came to it, Miles would rather cut bait and end his life than face Leviathan's form of wrath. That's the power of the door. Escape without death. A thousand generations, and who gets to escape death's grip? Few. 
few of us escape death. Miles would be among those few, and Jennifer Dash too, he was certain. This, this was too important. He'd hypnotize her if he had to break his own rule all over again. But therein lied the fear. What if it didn't take? Sometimes, Miles' powers of persuasion fell short. Jen was special. She might not bite. It was possible, and if she didn't, she may hate him forever, spurn whatever advances he tries. She's a stubborn soul. It wasn't inconceivable to imagine her saying no to the door just to spite Miles. That was the fear. Miles Fa would never come up with this list on his own, but we will for our own sakes. Miles had three priorities now with the life he believed he had left to live. One, exit through the door. Two, and a close second, take Jen with him. Three, a distant third, save as many souls as possible. That's one, exit through the door. Two, take Jen with him. Three, save as many souls as possible. Miles saw it going down this way. Memnock's negotiation would bring out the piper. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed on the dollar. The old fiddler could never resist a grand old parlay. He'd come out. At the center of his soul, Miles was sure, the Pied Piper loves get-togethers. He never looked more alive than when he spoke of getting the whole band back together. Truth be told, the Piper's an extrovert stuck in an introvert's job. Memnock, Piper, and Jen would storm into this Eden. The Piper would create a door. Miles supposed that probably involved a ritual similar to the one Lilith Babbitt performed. Hence, the need for helpful children's blood to be wandering about. The children are used, the door opens, and everybody walks through, sans Piper. With the old ones out of the way and no longer protecting any human on Earth, the end of the world is writ in stone. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Leviathan returns just in the nick of time for Piper to claim victory over the Shining Man. Game over. Everybody wins. You were with my brother? Yes, Marshall responded to Scout. He's been looking for you. Jennifer Dash is with him. What about Betty? No. Marshall didn't know who Betty was. He didn't care to know, but it was good. Maybe this Betty character would pull Atticus off of Jen's arm. Marshall didn't like how cuddly those two seemed. Looking ahead through the ever-bleak midwinter, Marshall saw nothing on the horizon. He was beyond perplexed. Why did he leave the land of flowing milk and honey? That seemed like a dumb move. He was so bent on getting there, now it seemed like he was running away from it as if it were a nightmare. But it wasn't. It was scary, at times. That jackal woman, the various half-beasts. But scary didn't mean bad. Marshall Winston, of all people, should know the difference. It wasn't bad. Yet here he was, two small girls in tow, heading back towards the land of coldness and hunger. Why? Marshall felt at the card the jackal lady gave him. 
It was burning a hole in his pocket. What did it mean? How was he supposed to use it? Good Memnock. You have a deal. The piper chortled. Shall we fine-tune the discussion on your turf? I suspect it's more amenable to both parties. By all means, be my guest. Memnock said, hopping off the couch. The piper smiled. He had a bright red sack hanging around one shoulder, a bright red that was a different hue than the rest of his ensemble, it should be noted. His colors clashed Piper said as Memnock badly. gave us a path. He stuck his hand in the bag. From it, he pulled out a short, wooden flute. Memnock, give us a path. Memnock arose, swept past Jen, Atticus, and the Piper. His tail beamed dark red. With it, he touched the ground, and the ground gave way underneath him. The ground eroded, melting into nothing beneath the monster's feet. He was burning a path forward. He began his march well before Pike Piper followed. As the Piper played, he danced, his feet bounding to and fro, up and down. He looked like a clown, a clod, an idiot. And the children came. Like zombies, they ran and smiled, and laughed, and danced. All of Onmo smushed in behind. Before nothing at all, they were out in the world, marking their own trail. Memnock far ahead, heating the way, all the snow melting instantly in every direction in a quarter-mile radius. This was the Piper. He played his fife. He led the children. This was a biblical exodus. And the heathen children followed their lord. He and his great warmth demon lighting a path in the darkness. His music sang to their hearts, their souls. Until the end of the world, the children followed. Over all that there was, the children followed. Their hearts never more merrily, never more in sync with their courageous and victorious leader than now. At the end of all things, now. A safe distance behind the roving hordes, Jen and Atticus followed. They couldn't stay behind. They'd freeze to death. The warmth of Memnock was the consolation now. Jennifer Dash and Atticus further followed the dance of the blind. Maybe for courage, maybe for unity, maybe for love. Atticus and Jen walked hand in hand, her little hand fitting snugly inside his. They had each other. That was enough. Come what may, they had each other. Atticus looked back at Anma. They hadn't been there long. Now the whole structure laid barren, a sure casualty of the winds of nature. As they marched, the piper himself was transfixing. Such a ludicrous dance. It defied logic. 
No logical creature, no respectable persons would dance like that. Atticus had seen this before. Well, seen it in his mind. Read it once. The book was Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. That's the book with a scene on its final pages not unlike this unfolding event. In that novel, as Atticus remembered, there was a judge character. He was something more than human. Not exactly a god or an immortal in the way of the Supermans and X-Men. More of an idea than anything else. In the novel, the judge was an archetype. He fed off the notion of war. He was the embodiment of violence. In the last scene of the book, which seemed to Atticus to end abruptly, the judge dances in the nude in a saloon, drinking his drinks, playing his fiddle, and madly spinning a yarn about how he'll never die. Had Cormac McCarthy spied this moment? Had he watched the Piper fife his way to eternity? Did Blood Meridian predict this moment, this end? Not only the novel, but that old film. Another vision for Atticus. The movie. That classic one. The Seventh Seal. That old Swedish film where a man plays chess with the Grim Reaper. That's the visual that everyone remembers. That's the scene parodied in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's iconography right there. But the image that always stuck with Atticus, The Seventh Seal being one of many classic subtitled films that Joseph Further forced his children to watch in his educational zeal, the image was of the Grim Reaper dancing with his scythe, and all the people holding his hand dancing in a singular line, the dance of death. Here, in the northern crevices of planet Earth, the Pied Piper was leading his masses towards ultimate doom. Atticus felt it. It's the doom that ebbs and flows over every soul of every generation. All tribes, all warriors, all mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, we all dance with death and go our final way. One last trail to blaze. Atticus held Jen's hand and shivered. Destiny was coming, and they were marching towards it. As for Jen, her thoughts were not about the Grim Reaper, nor some cruel platonic ideal of violence dancing amidst the anarchy of a Wild Wild West saloon. No, her thoughts tipped towards optimism, hope beyond hope. She didn't know much about it, but Jennifer Dash had watched the old Ten Commandments movie long ago. The story never made much sense to her unchurched little mind, but what does sense matter to a child? It was the images that stuck. Namely, thousands of people were in a bad place, in a bad way, and then this big bearded man led them away from the evil. Moses led the Israelites away from pain, away from suffering. It didn't really matter where he led them. The point was in the leaving. Wasn't that what Piper was doing? In his own weird, freaky-deaky way? This was an exodus of biblical proportions. Maybe it would end with answers. Maybe it would end in an explanation. The Piper with his fife knew the answer to all of Jen's questions. Maybe the end of the Exodus would reveal the truth. Maybe everything that was happening was for a reason after all. Maybe Jennifer Dash was still destined to solve the world. Out of bondage he led them. Out from under the chains of Anmo, he led the lost souls. Where did he lead them? What matters that? Hope beyond hope. 
He is Moses, great prophet of our times. Below his Charlton Heston beard, there may remain the visage of the Grim Reaper. It matters not. He leads them, one and all, all for one. We cannot know if the one is for all. We know only this, all for one. All for the Pied Piper's mad hymn. All for his insane contortions of will, wit, and body. Hear his flute and follow. All hail the king of this moment. All hail the king of this moment! There, something on the horizon. No longer was the future a dull din of white. There was something, like a jellyfish shivering under the clouds of space. Something was coming. It was long and vast. Too long and too vast. Another train? Impossible. It steamrolled like a train, but its span was too immense, too wide, far, far too wide. Marshall patted around his palm, searching for a way to turn the train's autopilot off. He wanted to stop this thing. Stop! Marshall did find the bricks. Trains aren't like cars. They can't decelerate like an automobile. Scout pulled on the train whistle. Fully aware of her environment and what task needed to be executed in the moment. The train found a way to shut down, eventually coming to a full halt. Rune sat, arms curled around her knees in the corner of the train car. First came the demon, Memnock the Destroyer. Marshall felt the wave of heat first. So did the girls. They frantically shed layers of clothes. Heart palpitations. What sort of sonic heat wave was this? What is it? Marshall called out to no one. Scout answered. He was with us in the garden. Garden? Marshall turned to Scout. What garden? The place we came from. The garden. The words weren't novel. He was just there. Garden was a fair enough word to describe the oasis of life past the ice-walled gates. Why then was that name sounding so descriptive? Marshall grabbed at his chest. Garden. 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 What did it mean? Marshall slipped his fingers then into his pocket, grabbing at the gift the Anubis woman slipped him. Memnock stood just outside the front cabin of the train. He called back towards Piper. In here! The piper never stopped fifing, but he managed to give an authoritative nod. Marshall vaguely became aware of the sudden surge in occupancy aboard his train as he embraced the card in his hands. He then instinctually flung the card out into the air. As it flipped over against the sky, it pierced reality. Marshall fell through it.
Marshall called out in utter blackness. This wasn't the room he'd visited before. This wasn't the room that convicted him of his sins. There was no scrolling of, why have you forsaken me, all about. The air was heavy, his breath burned. The blackness was full of its utterness. This was full night, absolute darkness. Marshall had no concept of whether he was in an endlessly giant cathedral or standing in a coffin. The universe had no dimension. A thought crept on all fours from the floor. It slithered under the opening of Marshall's pants and scratched its way up his body, under his shirt, out from behind his neck, up over his head, through the holes in his nose, into his brain. There, it sat and gestated. The idea was this. You are in his presence. Speak and be known. Hello? Hello? Who's here with me? Who is it? A second thought found itself at Marshall's heels and followed the same path the previous thought had found. It scratched and clawed until it too found a room inside Marshall's head to sit and rest. The second thought was this, the Prince of the Powers of the Air. What did that title mean? Marshall needn't wait for an answer. He knew, instantly. This was the Druidry's final authority, the leader every mama and fodder beck since Stonehenge itself had bowed down before. He was the first and final word. He, the Shining Man. We need your help. Your enemy, the Piper. He's leading the children. He's going to win unless you do something. As soon as Marshall Winston said those words in the darkness, he was gone from there. Not a moment had eclipsed him. Here he stood on the train in front of Memnock, children forming a sweeping vista, beginning to trail into the various cabins the train had to offer. Atticus! Atticus! Scout called out when she finally spied him. Scout! They ran to each other. Jen followed slowly behind, smiling as the two collapsed into each other, making an island of happiness and reunion in each other, surrounded by a sea of zombified children. Atticus hugged and kissed his little sister on the forehead repeatedly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) He sang out to her in whispers and moans of faith. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Scout said, momentarily playing part of mother and counselor. Are you okay? Atticus asked dumbly. Yeah. You? I'm okay. My hip's bad, but I'm okay. What about your face? Atticus touched his swollen and rotten-colored cheeks. He'd forgotten how recently the child mob had exacted vengeance on his dolt face. It's nothing. It's fine. Everything's fine now. What's all this? 
What's happening? Where's everyone going? Scout asked. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. The train pushed back into gear, running once more headlong towards the icy gates of the garden behind the wall. The locomotive was stuffed to the gills. Taller kids found refuge on top of the train. Memnock himself sat on the hub of the roaring machine, lighting the way and heating all in its wake. Atticus and Scout sat together. She on his lap, scrunched between hundreds of other young ones. Jen stood awkwardly beside Marshall in the engine room. What happened to your finger? Lost it. How? Trouble. What trouble? Marshall extended his arms, exasperated at the hubris of such a question. Everywhere, Naime. Everywhere. Your voice is... grittier. I heard it. How? Marshall looked away. He'd caught the sight just before Atticus and Scout reunited. Jen had been holding Atticus's hand. I went down the pit. Jen smiled. The never-ending pit? It's not never-ending. It ends. It doesn't plop you out in China? Nope. So, is there anything down there? Marshall let the question hang a bit before answering. Trouble. Trouble, Jen repeated. Speaking of trouble, why did you do that? Act that way. Back at Anmo. What's it matter? You nearly killed us. They were going to tear Atticus to shreds. Maybe that's what I wanted. Why would you want that? Shake of the head, crossing of arms. Trouble. You're just going to shut down on me? Marshall, this isn't like you. You've always been honest with me. How would you know? He was staring at the ground now, trying not to make eye contact. It wasn't that Marshall Winston feared being a villain. If given the choice, he'd probably choose villain over the alternative. Now the alternative stared right back at him. Even though leaving the garden, that word, was stupid, at least that was an independent action. Now his whole escape, if you could even call it that, was for nothing. All for naught. Rune was headed back to the garden she came from, just a lost girl amidst a crowd. Marshall had accomplished nothing. That was the alternative. Nothingness. Inconsequentialness. Being a pawn in someone else's game. Soon enough, he'd be discarded. I'll let you in on a secret. Just a small one. Marshall Winston intuitively understood that Jennifer was the protagonist. She's the center of the sport. He'd fallen from her. Not from her graces, not from some platonic ideal, but fallen from her inner dialogue, that inner circle of counselors in her head. Once upon a time, Marshall had been important, played a valuable role to Jen. Now, all he could do was hurt her, and the only way to do that was to hurt the people she really cared for. What a bum card he was dealt. She didn't care about his missing finger. She just asked about it because it's garish, it's ugly, it stands out. There was no care in her voice, no empathetic concern. Where's this train going? North. Did I do something? Are you mad at me, Marshall? What if I said I am? I'd ask you what I did. I'm not mad. I'm trapped. You're in trouble. Who's controlling you, Marshall? We're all slaves. It doesn't matter to whom. It's ending soon. I think it's ending and I've lost. 
What have you lost? Your thing. Your solve the world thing. Yeah? Jen responded, still emotionally guarding herself for whatever Marshall had to say next. That doesn't matter to me like it does to you. What matters to you? Jen said timidly. Meaning. You don't think you have meaning? I... <sighs> Marshall stumbled as his eyes darted about the floorboards. There was some sympathy in her voice, some compassion left. He moved in, took a stumble step towards Jen. Hope beyond hope. Maybe she'll reach out, touch him. That'll bring meaning. That'll be a good way to go down. The touch would never come. As Marshall rocked closer towards Jen, she inched further away. It was true. Jen found herself disgusted by Marshall. In fact, her disgust seemed to go beyond the mere facts on the table. There was something in his voice now. Was it just hopelessness? Or something else? Why have you forsaken me? The ice walls let down their guard as the final train from Anmo, sardine packed with children young and old, rode into the depot. Woodmile saw blew his tongue. If he was supernatural, his head would have blown off with rage. No! No! Turn it around! We don't need these! Get these extra souls out of here! Send the children back! No! Go! Go! He was screaming to no one, to everyone. Piper hopped off the still slowly chugging train and walked broad-grinned towards the eponymous Miles Faw. Hello, son. Why did you bring all of them? It never entered my mind not to. Ymir, give me some height. A giant who was slumbering by the stream stood, pulling the comparatively diminutive Piper up with him. The giant boomed far above the train. The children, still sitting on top the train cars, looked up to Piper, sitting on the shoulders of the mammoth old one. Friends, comrades, children, your diplomat, the fair and beautiful boy, Memnock, the fire starter, has called me here today. Memnock smiled as his name held a place of honor on Piper's tongue. He curtsied to the onlooking old ones. Walking over now to Piper from every corner and region of the garden within the icy gates. Finally, our day of judgment is upon us. We know our deeds. We know why we hang so low below the heavens. There need not be a judge and jury for us. We are our own accusers. Is there any power on earth that would dare disagree? No, never. The earth fades, preparing herself for wrath. Some believe I alone have awoken Leviathan. Do you still think I hold such sway? I am merely a man, hoping beyond hope to be more than mere puppet. I want no strings. I know you, my sons and daughters, feel similarly. Now is the winter of our discontent, so let us move swiftly and boldly. We may yet escape our doom. I have now in my possession the Croatoan and its translation. I am old, as you all are, and so the knowledge has been long lost to me. The translation of those ancient words lost to my ears. Now... In these last days, we have everything we need. 
We can escape judgment. Flee before Leviathan's wrath. Do not now deceive yourselves. She is awake. From Piper's knapsack, he pulled out the old Croatoan. Marshall, afoot now on the lawn of the High Garden, smiled. Hope beyond hope. Maybe there was an answer for him yet. Time at last to move one last pawn. Time enough to play spoiler. The Piper needed the Croatoan. If he got his hands on it, that'd be it. He could undo the horrible scheme that was in motion. More than this, my comrades. I not only have the Croatoan in my possession... I know its secrets. I read it all just before coming to you. Our lives are not lost. Fear not. I know how to open the door. Suddenly, every deranged creature in the garden erupted in applause, howls, cries, and stamping. They were happy, overjoyed. They'd thought their souls perished. Here, right now, another turning point. At long, insufferable last, a doorway, a way out, an escape. Lest you worry, the access point is not far from here. Do you recall, in ages long gone by, the Black Henge? It is here, in the most northern point of the world, just a day's pace north, and we'll be upon it. Friends, the end of all things is at hand. To the Black Henge, where we shall ensure our eternal freedom. Unworldly roars. The icy gates shimmered and shook before cracking, falling to the ground in epic bursts. Several children would die from the falling monstrous icicles. Memnon, lead our way. Ungit, Odin, Murduk, Uhura, Mazda, Belabadan, Narcissus, Amatsu, Mikaboshi. Bind the children and allot them for distribution. Jensaw, chaos, rain. The mountains of the garden fell, the rivers evaporated, the gates shattered and melted to nothing. The children were bound, feet and hands, with long, ancient ropes that the mystics pulled from darkness. Those that tried to run were hunted efficiently, bound, one and all. The exodus had twisted into slavery. Genocide awaited. Jen was not bound. No dolt was. Marshall, Atticus, and Jen could walk free but they'd die within minutes if left alone outside of the warmth demon's arena of influence. So they followed too. Scout was bound hand and foot and tossed onto a long wooden board. The board went on and on, hundreds of feet long. Wildebeest-looking old ones carried the board on their backs as they marched north. A death march, with the children of the world strapped atop. Dark. Dark. Dark were Jen's thoughts as she viewed the abhorrence with no understanding of how to stop it. How do you keep a horror movie from continuing? This wasn't solving the world. This wasn't understanding or meaning. This was death, cold, merciless, and unflinching. The mass migration continued onto the northernmost summit of the world, to the Black Henge. Pied Piper led them. Hey guys, this is Dante Stack. I just want to send you my sincere thanks for sticking with me and sticking with Jen's journey for so long now, from her humble beginnings in Louisiana to what you just listened to, this 
crazy death march to the North Pole led by the Pied Piper and a mass of humanity and weird and evil creatures. Um, It's an honor to bring you this show every week. I love doing it and it feels really good to have some listeners out there that seem to enjoy it as well. So thank you. I also want to thank those of you who have been so generous as to tip me in the last couple months. Uh, I really appreciate every cent that you donate to me. Um, If you haven't and you want to, just go to DanteStack.com. Top right hand corner, there's a tab labeled tip jar. Click on that and you can kick me a buck or two or three or a million, whatever, using PayPal or Stripe. Really simple process. I appreciate everything I get from you guys, whether it be money or fan art or just a, hey, I appreciate what you do, Dante. All that stuff. I love it. Thank you. You guys make this experience so much richer. One quick note, if you didn't get my email, those of you who are in the Solve the World Society, you may have noticed these last few episodes leading up to the climax of part three of Solve the World, I'm not able to give you the episodes a week ahead. Uh, That's partly just because of my scheduling and partly because I kind of want everyone to be on the same page when we're like at essentially a season cliffhanger, you know? However, that being said, and this maybe will motivate some of you to get in the society who hasn't. There is something special, something from part four that's there for you to listen to whenever you want on the society page. All right, guys, just two more episodes in part three. I think you're going to really like it. I hope so, at least. Um, By the way, all music and sound effects are appropriately attributed and found on our show notes page at DanteStack.com, and all that stuff is under Creative Commons licenses, so it's all on the level. All right, guys, take care. See you next week. (laughs) 